Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Driving to the Basket. I am Mike. I am here with Dante and Tommy. And today we are going to launch right into uh, talking uh, about the other teams around the Pistons and the standings, those teams that might be competing with the Pistons for worst record in the league. Uh, just to note, we're recording this on uh, a Saturday the 6th, so just the, the day after the Pistons lost to the Phoenix Suns. So, uh, needless to say, draft lottery, uh, the, the lower you are uh, to a point, the higher chance you have at the first overall pick. Now, the bottom three teams have an identical shot at, at the number one overall pick. Uh, that's due to lottery reform. The process Sixers were formulated, you know, were specifically constructed to be as bad as possible because back then, if you were the worst team, you got the highest odds. Uh, that said, there are still benefits to being the worst team. Uh, you, if you are the worst team in the league, then the lowest you can pick, lowest, lowest is fifth. If you're the second worst, the lowest you can pick is sixth and so on. Uh, obviously, you don't want to get the number one, you know, be the worst team in the league and get the fifth pick, uh, but... You know, you'd like to, you know, it's great if that's the worst you're going to get. <clears throat> it's nice to have that leeway. So uh, let's just launch right into it. So first team to talk about is uh, the, we'll be going through this in, in no particular order. Uh, and, and there are not actually very many this year because uh, there, there, there are less outright bad tanking teams right now than there have been in recent memory. Uh, number one is the Wizards. So we're just going to go through and rank uh, certain uh, criteria. Uh, just on a scale of one to ten, it's going to talk about the roster, coaching, uh, potential for improvement, strength of schedule, some X factors, and how likely they are to finish beyond the Pistons. So, uh, when it comes to the to the Wizards roster, I'd rank them around uh, five out of ten. You know, you're, you're ostensibly not awful between Beal, Westbrook, Bertans, and uh, you know, and uh, Thomas Bryant, who is now out. Uh, otherwise, I would rank the roster on six out of ten. I thought that they were going to be a playoff team, like a probably eight seed playoff team, eight, seven seed prior to the season. Uh, you know, if everybody played to decent potential, they were always going to be a defensive train wreck, but maybe they could have been enough on offense. But at this point, yeah, you got a five out of 10 roster over there. Coaching two out of 10. Uh, Scott Brooks is not boiling Jim Boylan bad, but he's terrible. Super non-adaptive, really simple minded calls the same plays he called in Oklahoma city. <laughs> and he doesn't coach in Oklahoma city uh, in, in six years. Uh, is not suited to coach a team that you know that's got issues. Uh, you know, with that, that's you know basically true. Sure, if you want to throw him on a team with a ton of talent or even with a good amount of talent, uh, that can mask some of his issues. But uh, you know, especially when it comes to making an offense work with Westbrook, you know that takes some doing. How I'd rank their potential for improvement? I'd give that seven out of ten. I don't think very highly of Westbrook, but uh, you know he's been absolutely terrible by his standards. I, I think you put Westbrook on the court; it's an opportunity cost from the beginning because he's, he's not going to play within the bounds of a modern offense. He's got to play his way. Uh, but I mean, he's just been awful. You can always expect you know th th some physical regression is inevitable with Westbrook, uh, with with anybody, but particularly with Westbrook because you know mostly because not just physical regression. It's going to have a, a larger impact on his game than will for the average player. Cause he's so dependent upon getting into the basket. He's a bad shooter. Uh, he's just got to get, he's got to penetrate to do what he can do. And he's, he's not been able to do that. And I, I don't think, I don't think it's all been physical regression. Cause you know, he didn't look like this last season. I think he just, maybe a lot of guys have been slow starters this year after a really unprecedented off season. And I think he just may be an extreme example of that. So I think he'll improve to some degree. Davis Bretons has been horrible. Uh, he was one of the best perimeter shooters in the league last season. He was a pivot of that offense. Uh, he's just been awful. Uh, I, I think highly unlikely that lasts. 
Ish Smith has been awful from the floor, even by his own standards. And he's generally awful from the floor. <laughs> and, you know, probably improving to a degree. Troy Brown, who was good last year, hasn't played much. So I, I think they actually have a significant amount of uh, room to improve. I don't think that they will be a playoff team at this point. I think they, they could improve. To, they could finish in like the 10th seed in the East. Strength of schedule so far has been easy. So that's going to get more difficult. If we're talking X factors, Westbrook, of course, I think Westbrook will improve and, and Bertans will improve. Uh, so I'd say their chances of finishing beyond the Pistons are pretty low. They'll have a harder schedule, but they've just got a great deal more room to improve. Uh, right now, they are just very uh, slightly ahead of the Pistons in the schedule. Uh, the Pistons have a lower win percentage. They played uh, three more games, though, than the Wizards. So, uh, yeah, what do you guys think about the Wizards and, and how they're looking this season and, and where they might finish? Um, I, I would agree with you that they definitely have uh, pretty likely odds to improve. Uh, if you're talking about just talent by itself, I think, you know, if, if we want to compare it to the Pistons, Beal himself kind of blows all the talent that we've got right out of the water. Like, Beal's incredible. Um, Westbrook, yeah, I would. He has not been good, but I'd expect him to. I don't know if return to form is the right uh, term, but I, I'd expect him to improve for sure. And then Bertans has been very good every time he's played the Pistons. So uh, obviously I'm not a huge Wizards basketball guy, so it's surprised me that he struggled as much as he has. But I could see him improving too. So as far as the Wizards are concerned, I don't, I don't think they're much of a threat for the worst record in the NBA. Yeah, I would expect them to get better. They had some guys with like key injuries uh, in terms of key injuries early on. Ish Smith just returned, Denny Avdia returned, and he was looking pretty good in preseason. Uh, and I think the biggest issue for them is coaching. They need to get rid of Scott Brooks. All they do is ISO. It's just isolation play after isolation play. And Brooks and Westbrook together is a terrible combination because it seems like they don't coach shot selection. So Westbrook is taking like long isolation, like ISO jumpers like with a foot on the line or like two feet inside the three-point line. It's just horribly ugly basketball. And even Beal's heroic efforts, you know, it's just not enough. You know, they just need to play more as a team. And I think with some spacing and better ball movement, you see it happen a lot more with Ish Smith, who's just really good at generating offense and getting people moving. Uh, that's really what you need to see more of. Uh, Scott Brooks is just a terrible coach. I, they need to get rid of him. Yeah, Bradley Beal, I think, what, he had 10 straight 40-point games that his team lost. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is sad, uh, you know, especially for a guy who, you know, by the standards of today's stars in the NBA has been very loyal to the Wizards. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of guys, I don't like that this is the case in the NBA now, that a lot of guys just ask out if they don't like the situation. Uh, so I don't know if I should say, you know, give really give kudos to, to Bradley Beal for not doing that, but... Yeah, that must be uh, pretty deflating. The guy has been excellent on offense, certainly excellent. As for Westbrook, yeah, I mean, he's taking a lot of uh, a lot of ISO jumpers and parts just because he can't penetrate anymore. And realistically, if you're Westbrook, pass the ball. You're a terrible mid-range shooter. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're, you're an awful three-point shooter, too. You're a bad three-point shooter. Uh, but, you know, efficiency, you know, in terms of efficiency, I mean, there are very few guys who should be taking uh, isopolid mid-range jumpers on, on any sort of volume. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I agree with you guys. Their chances of finishing below the Pistons, unless Beal gets injured, I, I would say are very low. So, move on next to uh, the other great threat, so to speak, and uh, I would rate as the team most likely to finish below the Pistons. That is the Minnesota Timberwolves. 
So uh, their roster, I would rate at a three out of 10. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, of course, is one of the best offensive centers in the league. Now he's kind of meh defensively. Now he's made some improvements, but you know, you compare him to two of the other, uh, you know, premier centers in the league. Well, I guess Davis is, you know, take, taking pains to take himself out of the center discussion, but uh, you look at, uh, and then you look at like Embiid, for example, which is excellent on both ends. But you know, Towns, fantastic offensive player. But you know, for the most part, unless you're Nikola Jokic, you're, you're not going to carry a team from center. Or Joel Embiid, to a lesser extent, you're not going to carry a team from center in, t- in today's league. And uh, and Carl Anthony Towns can't do that. But still an impact player. D'Angelo Russell, you know, it should be capable. You know, upper fifteen uh, point guard. Uh, if we're if we're looking based on you know, what we saw last season, the season before, you know, he's never going to be a star point guard, but you know, maybe, maybe in the top one third, he's been terrible. I mean, the, the wolves who are a bad team have been colossally worse when he's been on the floor. And then there is Malik Beasley. who has been a decent secondary score. You know, he scored pretty efficiently. And beyond that, really Ricky Rubio, not great, but should be reliable enough. Uh, you know, after that, the roster really ends. There have been, there are no good forwards in the roster. There are very few good defenders in the roster. Like uh, Jared Culver is a good defender, still struggles on offense. Anthony Edwards has been horribly inefficient. He's shown flashes. Rubio himself has been dreadful. But the fact is they just don't have very many good play- players, you know, who who have the potential to be good uh, on the roster this season. Coaching, I'd give generously, give a four out of 10. Saunders isn't awful, but he's bad. Certainly bad. It's particularly important, I'd say, to have innovative coaching for a roster that is mismatched, as mismatched as this one. I mean, I really look at this roster, and it's the only one from recent memory for me that compares with the roster of the 2018-2019 Pistons. is just horribly mismatched. <laughs> uh, probably not as bad as that one, because that one was pretty much weak everywhere. Like, you had Blake Griffin, and then... What? <laughs> Aside from that, I mean, that, that roster... Yeah, that, that roster just, I mean, just in terms of accoutrements necessary for the modern NBA was completely lacking. And that this one is, is just lacking in different, you know, in a different way. But yeah, their strength of schedule around four out of 10 hasn't been super easy, hasn't been super hard. Their X factor, I'd say, would be Anthony Edwards. Uh, like, um, but actually, we'll talk about that after potential for improvement. So Cat will provide improvement. Carl Anthony Towns, he's barely played thanks to COVID. Uh, but he needs help. He is not going to carry the team from center. Russell will, I would imagine, improve, uh, especially when he can play with, with Towns uh, consistently. Uh, Rubio really ought to improve. The guy's a you know, pretty reliable veteran who's just been awful. Edwards has has that potential, but is this going to be one of those lost rookie seasons for for a very talented player? Is really going to pick it up in his sophomore season, or is he actually going to have the focus and then the wherewithal to improve this season? So... Yeah, I, I put the potential for improvement at around 6 out of 10. That said, they're starting from a pretty low point. And yeah, that X factor, Anthony Edwards. You know, if, if he can somehow pull it together this season, then that's a big deal for the Wolves because the guy is talented. He's incredibly athletic, and, and that would be helpful. Uh, are they going to make the playoffs in any situation? No. No. I think the Wizards, uh, you know, I get to, whereas the Wizards could play themselves with the 10th seed, I think the, 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 the Wolves, unless they are likely, you know, unless they are lucky in the draft water, you're going to surrender the sixth or seventh or or eighth pick to the Warriors. So the chance of finishing behind the Pistons, I would put it as moderate. If Cat comes back, if Carlton Towns comes back, and I'll keep calling him as by his acronym, <laughs> and and Russell shows some improvement, 
then I don't think they're finishing beyond the Pistons. They've just, they, despite being incredibly mismatched in terms of roster and not having much talent, they're still ahead of the Pistons in that respect. Yeah, right. no, they, yeah. they, they do have more talent than the Pistons for sure. They, they certainly do. Um, and a lot's going to hinge on Edwards, I would say. If he can take, you know, some big leap, then they're going to see some more wins than they've already got. Um, I'm a little, I'm kind of in the same boat at, uh, with them as I am with the Wizards. I don't see them finishing behind the Pistons either. I just think over the course of a longer season, uh, the team that has more pure talent is probably going to end up winning more games. And, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, yeah, not the best defender, but a very, very, very good player. And I don't expect him to carry them to the playoffs or anything like that, but I do expect him to kind of ensure that they're not finishing below the Pistons either. I remember seeing a post a few weeks ago after Carl Anthony Towns, because he started this year and then... Of course, he's out to co- due to COVID. I think he's the biggest factor because the post was something like, I don't want to misquote the records because it was just like I saw it a few weeks ago. But the Wolves were close to 500 with Carl Anthony Towns, and then without him, they were like 1-6. and six, And this was a little while ago. So he's the biggest difference. They, they just play significantly better. And then as far as Edwards goes, uh, this post is from a few days ago, but over his last five at one point, he was averaging 19 points. On 43, 47, and 94 shooting, that's unsustainable. But I think we are starting to see that jump from him. And I think he is getting a little bit more aggressive in terms of attacking the basket. That's what you need from him. He's an athletic freak, and I think he was just settling for too many threes. So at this point, I think it's just important that he gets to the basket, especially when they play with Carl Anthony Towns, who is a floor spacing center. That's a really good combination. I really like the fit there because if Cat is not in the lane, that opens it up for Edwards to attack. And that becomes a much more deadly team. I think Malik Beasley has been playing really well too. So I think the biggest thing is Carl Anthony Towns coming back, but I think they have the tools to, you know, make a bit of a leap once they have that key key piece. Yeah, they can they can make that leap up to uh, you know, maybe number twelve in the in the West. <laughs> That'd be a big deal. I don't care them. where yeah. they end up, just as long as they put some distance between us and them. For sure. What they're what they are playing for now is to not surrender, is not not be humiliated and surrender a super high pick to the Warriors. <laughs> That's basically what they're playing for now. Uh, so uh, they have actually had uh, Nas Reed has been doing a decent job of spacing the floor. Uh, he's actually shot uh, upwards of forty one percent, only at about three attempts per game. But he's no Carl Anthony Towns, obviously. That's really beyond dispute. <laughs> so and he's he's only good playing, but. Yeah, he's only been playing about 22 minutes a game, too. So, yeah, I I, I think that they are not nearly as bad of a team as the Pistons. Uh, I think that they will finish out of the Pistons, probably, uh, considerably so. The only other team I'd look at is the Chicago Bulls. And I I don't think the Bulls are are necessarily uh, really much of a threat at all, but uh, they're the only other team, really, I I think even falls into the category. So, roster over there, I'd rate us 5 out of 10. Levine's actually... Actually, very good scoring talent. He's having a great season, scoring about 25 points per game on fantastic efficiency. The efficiency is not going to last, but he's a good creator. Uh, definitely not a good defender, but a very good creator. Uh, Markinen's having a big comeback season uh, after you know eating garbage under Jim Boylan for reasons nobody could understand. Uh, Kobe White's pretty good. He's still got potential. Otto Porter is still Otto Porter, which means he's a good shooter. Patrick Williams has been good for a rookie. Uh, the Bulls have a relatively weak bench. They've got weak defense. That just is what it is. And uh, and it, they don't have really much in the way of good scoring beyond, uh, you know, creating offense beyond Levine. 
Uh, coaching, again, squarely average, 5 out of 10. Billy Dominant is absolutely nothing special. I mean, it's just nothing special. Strength of schedule, right in the middle. Uh, as, as good as I could, you know, really all I can identify as an X factor is their defense, which has been horrible. Maybe they can improve upon that a bit. The fact is they don't have very many, very many good defenders in the roster, and they've got, uh, you know, they've they've got between, uh, you know, Levine in particular, but others as well. I mean, it's uh, they just don't have many strong defenders. I'd, I'd rate their chances of finishing behind the Pistons pretty well. Uh, they're just likely to remain mediocre. They they may well end up being the. Uh, the you know, probably like the 12th or 13th best team in the conference. Um, you know, this is, I can declare pretty confidently not going to be a playoff team. Any thoughts about the Bulls? No, no thoughts about the Bulls? No, I could, <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for Tommy to jump in, but uh, no, no, I don't. I, I really only watch the Bulls just for like Pat Williams, and he's just making steady improvements there. They, I mean, yeah, their defense is pretty terrible good. with Wendell Carter Jr., so. Yeah, I don't think, I just, I don't think the Bulls necessarily belong in the conversation of like worst team in the NBA. Like I think they're uh, below average, mediocre at best, um, but I, I really don't see a world in which they're finishing below the Pistons, so. I mean, yeah, Zach Levine is a lot of fun to watch. Markinen improving. Um, Pat Williams, I was able to, well, not able to, but I, I looked into him a lot in college with all the rumors that the Pistons were interested in him, and I'm happy to see him having some success. Uh, but, yeah, maybe if that defense can improve, they're going to win a few more, but I, I definitely don't see them finishing below the Pistons either. And I feel like I keep saying that for all these teams, and I guess that kind of you know, lends itself to the idea that the Pistons are really, really bad. Uh, yeah, they are. It's, I mean, here's the thing. You look at the standings right now. I mean, there are a bunch of teams who could fall. There are a bunch of teams who could improve. It's just the Pistons are particularly bad. And unless something substantively changes, I mean, yeah, like you look at the Heat, and the Heat have only eight wins. I don't think any of us think that's going to last. No. The Mavericks have only nine wins. I don't think any of us think that's going to last. Uh, the Magic are, you know, not great by any means. And uh, they, they, they could be one of the lower finishers in the conference. They've had very bad injury luck. Who knows about the Thunder? The Pelicans are coached by Stan Van Gundy. Anything could happen over there. Well, anything not being good things, but bad things can definitely happen. Uh, you know, the honorable mention I'd give is to the Knicks, who have just benefited from this hilarious run of luck uh, in which their opponents have shot a horrific percentage on wide-open threes. But, uh, you know, and the Cavaliers have played to above expectations. Uh, led by Titan, uh, all-time great Andre Drummond. So that is a joke. He has not been good. Uh, he is one of the league leaders in usage. Uh, and it's on his typical bad shot selection with his typical bad offensive touch based on his uh, typical unflinching determination to be an offensive superstar. Yep. So, you know, something funny? What? His usage is higher than LeBron. Yeah, wow. yeah I saw that. <laughs> I think he's seventh in the league right now in usage, which is comical. It's absolutely it's hilarious, hilarious. Uh, especially because Jared Allen is a an objectively superior player. He's not as good of a rebounder, but who cares? I mean, in terms of the actual impact he has, he is drastically superior. And I'm, yeah. I, I don't know why he's not starting right now. If I were them, I would consider just benching Drummond altogether and just playing a an Allen-McGee uh, rotation. And some people might call that absurd, but I mean, it's like – uh, Drummond just comes with such a big, uh, just just such a big inherent opportunity cost. Putting him on the floor, he's going to cause problems. So, uh, all but the rarest of occasions, I just I just think very poorly of him. That's just me. So uh, the last team we should talk about is uh, the Pistons themselves. Actually, 
just for the sake of context. <clears throat> now, here's how I break the Pistons, okay? Uh, so the roster, I would give a 2 out of 10. I would give it a 2 out of 10. Uh, what keeps it away from being a 1 out of 10 is Jeremy Grant. You know, what, whatever you want to say about how Weaver did things this summer. Uh, yeah, the Pistons would probably be a comically bad team without without Jeremy Grant. I'm willing to accept that at this point. Though part of it, I think, is the coaching. If you had a better coach and no Jeremy Grant, they would still be awful, but I, I don't think comically bad. Uh, I mean, the Grant, the Pistons have been, whenever Grant isn't on the floor, the Pistons are an absolutely horrific team. I think uh, he's, they're, they're actually a slightly, they outscore their opponents very slightly while he's on the floor. Uh, when he's not on the floor, I think they are outscored by about 16 points by 100, uh, per 100 possessions, which is, you know, it's pretty pretty marked difference. We'll talk more about about Grant uh, in the context of All Star and later in this episode. So yeah, Grant's the only good scorer, legitimately the only good scorer. Derrick Rose, even is, is you know who, who has been an effective creator the last two seasons, is really is he's struggled so far. Uh, the team has uh, decent defense, and uh, that's uh, you know that's about all. All the good you can say about it at this point. Uh, the coaching uh, I would rate as uh, Dwayne Casey out of ten. <laughs> we have we have said enough about him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, their strength of schedule uh, on paper has been the most difficult in the NBA. Uh, just in terms of looking at opposite team records, I would rank it more around seven out of ten. They have been very fortunate uh, with respect to absences, key absences, players of the opposition. Like if you look at the Pistons wins. Uh, they, you know, even, even in their losses, they've been fortunate with the, with the absences, certainly in their wins, they've been very fortunate with the absences. The Sixers with no Embiid, Embiid's a top five player. Uh, the Lakers with no Davis, Davis is a very, very good player. Uh, I am forgetting somebody. Uh, I know that they beat the Celtics without Kemba and, um, the Suns were another one of their wins. Who was their last win? I know they have five wins. It's kind of bizarre that I, that, that I am, uh, completely, uh, unable to remember it. Um, I don't remember their last one either. Yeah, I think the, the games are just kind of starting. They're to starting to blend together at this point. Um, yeah. So, but they've benefited from absences nonetheless. Um, yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah, they're. Uh, oh, um, yeah. Jeez, I'm just missing on it. So we got the Celtics, the Suns, oh, the Heat. Right, the Heat with no Butler. There you go. That's what it was. Uh, Butler also one of the you know, top 15 player in the league, without a doubt. So yeah, even, even in their losses, they benefited from a lot of absences. So, so I wouldn't rate their strength of schedule quite as high just on the basis of that. They've been very fortunate. Uh, potential for improvement. Um, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun watching Isaiah Stewart improve. I don't think he really has the ceiling, certainly not in his rookie season to really make a, a huge difference. And, uh, it's like, you know, Sadiq Bey, I think, you know, I've always thought he's just, this is a guy who's going to be a high quality role player. Uh, Josh Jackson, I don't think is consistent enough and is still a little too out of control for my liking to call him any sort of X factor. Yep. And uh, so they're, the Pistons chances of finishing behind the Pistons, I'd say are 0%. It is literally <laughs> impossible. It is, yeah. Yeah. It's impossible <laughs> no matter which way you slice it. Um, they, I just don't see another team with such a, dearth of talent unfortunately uh, or i guess fortunately depending on how you look at it but aside from grant there are no good scorers on the roster um aside from you know sadiq bay i guess you could say or svi when he's at his best there's there's a lack of good role players because ellington has just fallen off a cliff and blake griffin i mean it's 
I mean, we were just talking about it before we recorded. It's it's bad. Um, it's not like it's been okay and then gotten bad. It's been bad and then it went to <laughs> horrible. So he's. I, I honestly think he's actively hurting the team when he's out there too because he's so high usage and he just can't get it done. So this right now with the coaching, with the roster construction, and with the ways that these players are playing, um, I feel like they're... <laughs> I don't want to call it a lock because anything can happen, but this to me is the worst team in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, no, and I know Tommy, you've, you're you're very hopeful about this team, and you think they, you hope that they make a big run of the playoffs, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, man. Uh, Sadiq Bay is going to start averaging thirty points. We we finally saw Casey give him a little bit of help, so this is his uh, big, big breakout. It's coming. It's up. over. It's over for the rest of the league now. No, it's done. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They should call it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're approaching the Bay Cop, uh, the Bay, you know, Bay Apocalypse, and that's hard to say. The Bay Apocalypse. Yeah. No, I like yeah. it. I like that one. That's, that's a good, a good name. Thank you. I, came, I, I just came up with it right and now. It originated right here, right Absolutely. Now, off the yeah, top. Is, I love that. It is 10 seconds old. <laughs> yeah, trade so, like that, man. Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it was nice to see Bay get a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of more more help from Casey. He's getting the balls. Uh, he's getting the ball in some creative ways. Um, his shot wasn't falling quite as efficiently as it was earlier in the season, but it's always nice, right? I mean, even if he misses a shot, uh, none of us are going to be upset. We just like to see him getting the usage, getting the uh, experience and the improvements are going to come with the experience. So if there was one positive we could derive from last night, other than, you know, Grant getting his 20 points, um, it was nice to see Sadiq a little more involved. Yeah, it's Stewart too. Stewart played a good game against. Oh, the Suns. and I don't know how I forgot about Stewart. Stewart is yeah. well, I guess just because he's always a positive for me. Um, really, the the main reason Stephen watched the last <laughs> last few weeks have been Grant and Stewart because Grant has been a really good scorer and Stewart has been improving in every facet of the game. Uh, almost on a what? What did you say, Tommy? Earlier, it's like he's improving on a week by week basis. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, so it, it's adjusting to the defense. Uh, he's learning a nice, he's developing nice pick and roll chemistry with guys. Like I think Josh Jackson was the guy that they kept mentioning. Uh, it was like, they were kept connecting, but there's just a lot of improvement. And, you know, you, we talked just last week about, I think his ceiling is still a bench player, but I think he could be like an elite bench center. Like that guy that you want to watch battle in the second unit and he can eat up usage there without ball stopping. Yeah. I'll, I'll just disagree again. Yeah. I think, uh, I think he, could be that sort of low cost, not, not you know, by no means game changing, uh, but but low cost and effective center with a lot of intangibles. He's a guy, I think, as long as he's good enough to do it, you want to have him on the floor as much as possible, just because of the way he lifts the team. Yeah, so there speak. are things you can't quantify, you know, and even just watching Stewart out there, you can tell that he. Um, I don't know what the right way to put this is. He, he elevates those around him just by, just by proxy. Like his energy is clearly infectious. Um, the way that he fights for the ball just seems to inspire everybody around him. So, you know, he might not jump the highest. He might not be the fastest, but this is a guy who, yeah, I agree, Mike, you want him out there. Um, you want him out there in almost every situation. So I don't, I don't know if I would agree that his ceiling is a bench player. I'm, I, I would be pretty, um, I, I wouldn't be thrilled if we, you know, took a bench center, and that was the plan for him in the first round. Um, I really hope he can be a starting center. I'm not sure if his 
lack of verticality will prevent that. But he's a lot of fun to watch when he's out there. And to me, he makes more of an impact than Plumlee does. You know, we were talking, um, we were talking right before we started recording about how Plumlee puts up, you know, respectable looking stats. But a lot of those stats are just, they're accrued by virtue of him just existing on the court. And because Casey, you know, runs this team in such a mind boggling way, he has the ball in his hands a lot. Um, I'm not really sure why that is, but he, he's going to put up somewhat respectable stats as a result of how often he has the ball and how involved he is. But I think Stewart can be better than him, and, and I like Stu- watching Stewart more than him. So I would hope that you know Isaiah is a starting center for this team one day. Otherwise, I wouldn't be thrilled with the use of a first-round pick on intangibles, I guess. Um, I'm not sure how you guys feel about that, but that's that would be my take. I mean... I feel that if you are a center, just because centers are, I mean, the versatility of an athletic wing is going to trump that of a center. And, you know, in, in every respect, if you're a center, basically your, your baseline is, if you are drafted as a center, your baseline for success is going to be higher just because you, you're, yeah, you're inherently less valuable. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's not like an athletic wing who, you know, you know, for example, you take Josh Green, whom, whom the Pistons could have drafted. He was taken by the Mavericks. Uh, came into the NBA equipped to be a good defender. He was very athletic. He could probably uh, defend four positions. You know, it's, that, that's not altogether incredibly unusual these days. Uh, if you can, you know, defend up to power forward. Just your power forwards these days are just generally not very big. Your average, your average forward is a combo forward. But whatever. Even if you can just say you can defend three positions, whatever. If he comes in the league able to do that. If he becomes a reliable three-point shooter, boom. That's a player who is a good pick at number 16 and he's going to be useful to your roster. He's going to have an NBA career because if you're an athletic wing who can switch and defend well and shoot threes, awesome. Everybody play every, every team wants players like that. Yeah. Now, if you are a traditional center, excuse me, if you're a center of any ilk, I mean, you've got a a significantly further way to go in order to become an effective NBA player. So uh, I've, I've said it before. Yeah. If, if he can, whether it's on the bench or in the starting lineup, if he can, if he can move his feet on defense and switch and it's looking good at this point, actually. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, you know, like he, he managed to stay in front of Chris Paul and Chris Paul isn't the Chris yep. Paul he once was. He's no, I think I feel like he's noticeably slower this season, but you know, it's, it's, there are some smarts there and he's not, he's, he, he moves his feet well. So if he can do that, he can switch properly. And then he brings a lot on defense just by, by virtue of his energy and, and in his IQ, if he can learn to shoot threes then cool, that's immediately a good pick. And, uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd be happy in that case, even if he's playing from the bench, you know, 16th pick, a guy who, uh, who, who can do that and, and will be a good, you know, sixth, seventh man, then cool. But he's certainly been fun to watch, and, and he's been effective, certainly. His offense still needs work, but he's been, a, you know, he's, he's been effective. And, you know, from all that has been said by his opponents, they seem to, those I've read, have really singled him out for praise amongst the Pistons. So Yeah, when I think about it, when I say that I think he's only going to be a bench center, it's not that I don't think he could ever start. It's, I think of it more as, is he going to be a starter on a good team? Is he going to contribute to the play, st- the play style and the the pace, I guess, that you really want? Uh, the league is, like you mentioned, moving towards faster pace, spacing. And even if Isaiah develops at three, I don't expect him to be the guy that... Uh, Christian Wood has become my benchmark for centers. So I don't expect Isaiah to be that guy who like fakes a three and then takes it inside and, you know, slams it. That's the reason I just don't see him as a starting center. I don't think he's going to develop a great, like, two-man game with a point guard where they're just, like, 
fantastic combination. Uh, I really like him more as a guy who's just doing that against bench tier centers. I don't think he has the, let me say, yeah, the vertical to do it. Like he, he was playing well enough against Aiton and Aiton is a great player. Uh, and like you said, he switched on to Chris Paul on the perimeter and he was able to stay in front of him. Uh, I just don't think he's going to be that good of a player in the playoffs. I think he'd be over his, in over his head at that level, if, or if you ask him to do that. I think it's better to keep him where he excels. I think he's more valuable that way. I think I think he could only be a viable starting center if, if the Pistons had a lot of, you know, on a, on, a, on a prospect of championship team, if the Pistons have a lot of talent around him. I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe I put out that uh, that proviso when we talked about this on our last, I think, last episode. Yeah, but if you if you do have that talent around him, then you know, then great. Then he's a low cost, you know, pretty effective starting center who can who can come out there with the starters, and you have a team that still might be able to win a championship. I mean, don't don't undersell the the value of having, you know, potentially effective center who's not a game changer but doesn't cost you much money. I mean, that's that's actually that's, that's it's an interesting yeah, <laughs> it's an no, interesting niche, and I hate to hate to throw him into it and say, well, you know, it's nice to have you because you're effective and we don't have to pay you very much. But uh, yeah, yeah so that's the reality of, of yeah. roster construction, right? You know, we don't yeah, have the luxury of uh, let's just sign LeBron this offseason. We are we are not that team. Um, so if we're going to ever reach that championship contention um, anytime soon, it's going to have to come through these prudent, you know, choices that turn out better than we thought they could have turned out. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit I wasn't, you know, thrilled with the store pick on draft night because I remember thinking like, man, like a center, really? Uh, like a traditional center. But then as I've watched him play, yeah, th- there are things you just can't describe that he does and, and the value of someone like that who's making a difference on the court and you don't have to pay them an, abs- an absurd amount of money, that's valuable. That's valuable to a team like the Pistons who needs all the cheap talent that they can get. Yeah. So let's uh, pivot. We were we mentioned a little bit earlier, Wayne Ellington and Blake Griffin. So it's no secret that that Blake has been been struggling all season. Ellington, of course, uh, had been excellent for a stretch of seven games. So things changed, of course, for for Ellington. Uh, starting with it's only been two games, but there was just a distinct change in how in how the defenses of the the Warriors and the Jazz chose to handle him. Also, those those teams uh, led by uh, Steve Kerr for the Warriors and Quinn Snyder for for the Jazz. I think those are two of the very best coaches in the league. Changes in also how they played Blake Griffin, which uh, really lowered his effectiveness and to a, to, a, to a degree the Suns as well. Lowered his effectiveness from bad to nearly zero. So let's we'll start with Ellington. So basically, Ellington during those seven games and you know big minute games in the starting lineup, he averaged nineteen about nineteen points per game on eighty two percent true shooting, as completely ludicrous. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous efficiency. I think Duncan Robinson actually accomplished like mid seventies last year, but uh, you know, Wayne Ellington is not Duncan Robinson. So uh, we know what Wayne Ellington is. He's an above average three point shooter who can make some difficult shots, but uh, he's not an elite three point shooter. Yeah. But you know, up, up there, but not elite. And he doesn't provide much beyond, beyond three point shooting. Nonetheless, I mean, basically Dwayne Casey had been running an offense that really was focused. I would say primarily upon getting Ellington open shots. 
and whether these be, you know, just setting a lot of screens for Wayne to run around those. And then, you know, either uh, the defender had to jump in from the interior and Wayne would, would just pump fake him and then shoot the ball or Wayne would just have an open shot or whatever else. And it was beyond me why it, t- it took, why it was taking these teams so long to start saying, why don't we just focus on Wayne Ellington? Because he's just absolutely, you know, scorching and he's such, you know, it, and it's, he's just shooting at a, at a tremendous rate, uh, you know, in terms of his conversion and, you know, like Frank Vogel of the Lakers, I, I noticed that he made a cursory effort by just having KCP dog him, the dog Ellington, uh, I think pretty much the entire game. But that wasn't much. You know, Ellington still got his shots by running around screens. The Lakers were exhausted from playing the, the Sixers the night before. So now what Steve Kerr did is basically he made Ellington a focus. Anytime Ellington's defender had any trouble getting around the screen, a, a, another defender would switch onto him instantly. He would have no space. Like literally he did not take a single shot in the entire game that was not closely contested and off balance and just, just a very extremely difficult opportunity and very few players convert those at, at any sort of decent percentage. So yeah, that, that's what Kerr did. There's a strategy that would have made sense for anybody because it's like, if you have to choose between leaving like the 36% three point shooter open or the like 52% three-point shooter open, or it's more than that, I think 62 or something like that. Pretty easy choice. It's an even easier choice for the Pistons, uh, who have one other reliable three-point shooter on the floor that is Jeremy Grant. So uh, the Pistons went to went then to Utah. Quinn Snyder did much the same thing, just gave him no space. He also had Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell throw at him. And, and Wayne just suffered from the same. He had one open three-point attempt across those two games, and he... He didn't make it. He had two points across those two games. So, you know, and that's what you do. And if Wayne Ellington isn't shooting at a high percentage from three, then he's a pretty big minus. You know, he's not an awful defender, but he's not a good defender. And if he's not shooting threes, he offers next to nothing in the starting lineup. And and then there was Blake Griffin. He hasn't been effective to any degree. But uh, actually, let's just, let's just go through Wayne before we get to Blake. Have you guys really seen – I know you guys had, had much the same opinion on Ellington. Oh, it's – well – I mean, it goes without saying. All you have to do is watch. Um, and Mike, you you brought up a very astute point uh, last week when you basically said, "Look, Wayne is a good three point shooter, but he's not this good." Um, and some combination of defenses finally beginning to react to what's going on with him, and um, the law of averages, they're going to come together, and uh, you're going to see probably. I don't know if this was your exact wording, but you're going to see a decline right in the efficiency, and it'll probably be dramatic. Um, and scoring two points across two games, that's that's about as dramatic of a, of a drop-off as you can get. So um, it's unfortunate what's happened, but I can't say that it went uh, or it came entirely out of nowhere. Yeah, my thing is that I hope they would start running more offense for more people than just Wayne Ellington. Uh, before uh, the Suns game, I was really hoping, and once I saw that Sadiq Bey was going to be in the starting lineup, I was hoping they would start running him some offense, get him some off-ball screens, give him some pick-and-rolls, and thankfully they did. So maybe a more diversified scoring attack would help. I'm not sure that you want it to be super effective, but at least now you're getting looks for guys who actually have a chance at contributing to the future of the Pistons. So I'm glad that they kind of figured it out and Casey's been forced to try something new. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was kind of irritating. Like in, in, the, in the flow of the overall offense, uh, how Jeremy Grant was kind of ending up marginalized somehow, but that that's a different story. So uh, then it's to Blake Griffin. Blake has been bad all season. He had one kind of, uh, you know, 
a couple of aberrations in that, to be honest, his baseline as well. He shot really well from three against the Cavaliers, and he shot really well from three against the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers, uh, the Lakers, just Frank Vogel played him really stupidly. Like uh, you know, number one, Blake hit fifty percent of his threes. That's going to help anybody's efficiency, but also teams, not only the Lakers, but uh, other teams had been doubling Blake when he when he he brings the ball up. It used to be last season, he, you know, two seasons ago, he's still very athletic. He'd bring the ball up, drive into the paint, post up, and go from there. And he was still more than explosive enough to make that happen. That's no longer the case this year. Uh, if he's still post up in the three-point line and just back a guy down and he's still big and strong enough to do that, other teams have been helping on him as a result. The fact is that Blake, once he gets close to the basket, isn't really great at scoring there anymore. So, And by doubling him, you open up somebody in the three-point line and you make Blake a little bit more effective just by being able to feed open shooters, the, uh, open shooters in the perimeter. So what Steve Kerr did was just say, here's your defender. You can back him down and we're going to let you hang yourself, which is exactly what happened. Blake either had to settle for bad shots or he got the ball poked away from him. Blake is a predictable player. People know what he's going to do. He's either going to shoot a, a spot up three point, uh, you know, excuse me, a, a step, a pull up three pointer, excuse me, uh, or he's going to try to back down his opponent. And it's two seasons ago. He could also drive into the uh, drive into uh, toward the basket. And you can't do that anymore. But nonetheless, he was predictable back then. He was just so good at what he was doing that it really didn't matter. He was predictable. He just had a physical advantage, and he was very good at his craft, and that's no longer the case. So you couple the fact that he's now a bad shooter uh, and uh, from the outside and not a good shooter, particularly from the interior, and, and you couple that with your predictability, his predictability, it makes it very easy. Steph, he beat, Steph Curry beat him twice on post-ups. <laughs> like, so what Steve Curry did is said, yeah, have fun. You know, We're going to let you uh, post up, and uh, we're not going to help. And you're probably not going to do pretty well on it. And in the worst case scenario, you've blown 16 seconds on two points. Now, what the Jazz did, I mean, Quinn Snyder added an additional wrinkle, which is that uh, he just, the only person he would have help was Gobert. So if Blake backed down Bogdanovich, who is his primary, uh, is his primary matchup, and he got near the basket, then Gobert would just kind of come ambling out of the paint and hold his arms up. And it's like, okay, Blake, you know, now you can try to shoot over Bogdanovich and the Stifle Tower. And it's like, good luck with that. The only thing Blake could do was shovel it under the basket to Plumlee, and that's an opportunity you'll put up with if you're the Jazz. And against the Suns, it was much the same. Uh, Alvin Gentry is nowhere is near, near as good a coach, but for the most part, they just let Blake go one-on-one. And, and the fact is that once Blake gets close to the basket, he's just not great at scoring there. I mean, two seasons ago, that would just be an excuse to get scored on constantly. This season, it's perfectly fine. Uh, it, it goes without saying. I mean, Blake is horrible defensively too, just awful. I mean, I lost uh, I lost count of how many times he blew coverage last night. So yeah, Dante, you said he was a minus. I think that's an understatement. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's he's now averaging about you know twelve and a half, five and a half, and three and a half on the season on forty nine percent three forty nine percent three shooting. The, uh, not quite the all NBA. No, uh, this is a guy in, in terms of. You know, I, I've seen questions about, uh, oh, how can we get rid of Blake? Do you think Blake wants outs? Blake is going nowhere unless the Pistons play a hefty price to get rid of him. Yeah, He is a far below average NBA starter who is paid uh, $37 million against the cap this season and $39 million next season. Uh, and, and the way that he has been handled the last three games has just made his, his effectiveness drop from bad to near zero. And it's, it's sad to see that fall from grace. He's averaging like eight, three and three over the last two games. I'm like 43% for shooting. It's, it's, you know, and he disrupts the flow of the offense and so on and so forth. Yeah, he's a ball stopper too. You know, yeah, when he yeah. gets the ball, it's not like, uh, 
yeah, interrupting the flow is a great way to put it because you can you can really see it. You know, it's even when these quick passes are happening, which isn't frequent under a Dwayne Casey offense, but even when we do move the ball, um, when it gets to Blake, you know, it doesn't matter where he's, but he, he could get the ball in the parking lot and he would post up. Um, he, he is a very predictable player. And then, you know, when he, when he, when he puts his back to the basket from the three point line and just kind of slowly posts up and backs in, it's, it's like, it's frustrating to watch. And then the threes aren't falling either. And he certainly isn't able to drive anymore. So what you're left with, um, is like a $37 million liability. Quite honestly, it's not just that he's not good. He's, he's actively hurting the team. And I don't, you know, I don't think we should forget, um, as, as Pistons fans, how great that all NBA season was of his, because I know that I appreciated it. Um, he, he, he was, I know he's paid a lot of money, uh, a lot of money, but he was dealt a pretty poor hand. Um, as far as like, I know he was excited to be a Clipper and sign that extension. And then they kind of, well, not kind of, they shipped him off unceremoniously and, you know, he's getting off his plane in the middle of winter in Detroit and he put his body on the line and he gave it everything he had. And I was actually at that game. Um, I believe it was game four against Milwaukee in the playoffs when um, the Pistons were about to get swept and Blake checked out for the last time and, and the whole arena started chanting MVP for him. That was, that was a pretty good sports memory for me. And, and I think for a lot of fans, it's, it's, um, pretty evident that Blake is not a bad guy like he tries um he tries often to the point of detriment to himself clearly because he just brutalized his knee um and I know the Pistons doctor said it couldn't get worse by playing on it but I don't know where they got their medical degree because it clearly has gotten worse he's not the same player but I guess in summation what I'm what I'm trying to the point I'm trying to make with this tangent is that I appreciate him for what he's done um but he's not the same player anymore, unfortunately. And I don't hold any ill will towards him for that because I know he's trying. We can see the frustration, but he just can't do it. Um, and it's sad. It's really sad. It is. And I think if you want to play him 24 minutes off the bench, I perfectly understand that. It's Me playing too. him 32 to 36. Yeah, playing him 32 to 36 in the starting lineup is uh, it's getting a little bit, I don't know, the word insulting doesn't really work. I mean, that's... That's that's kind of an entitled term, but it's it's like it's too much. There's no reason for oh, it's that. Ridiculous. I would it's, use yeah, the word it's, ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It is too much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you know, I will say, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a medical professional, but based on based on my knowledge and understanding of the situation, I would guess that it was not playing on it that made it worse. It was the surgery and the recovery that made it worse. Oh, it may have been. And, yeah. Yeah, and and that that can happen. I mean, people can have surgery and they come back looking worse than before, but it was a surgery they had to have. Uh, I do also object to the, not, not that you guys said this, but the notion that he destroyed his body for the Pistons. This is the way Blake plays. He would have been playing the same way on the Clippers. He would have had more help, but he wouldn't play in the same way. And Chris, Chris Paul left, that left, you know, Blake became the guy. And, you know, he goes to work down low. That's, that's what he does. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I would say he destroyed it for the Pistons, but I think that he... I think it put the final nail in. It would, yeah, but I would just say that by virtue of being on a team that their aspirations were for all intents and purposes to get the eight seed. Um, (laughs) It's not like he thought to himself, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this courageous self-sacrifice in my body to make sure we go to the playoffs. It was probably just by virtue of, you know, he, he, he is a professional basketball player and he's going to give, give his entirety to whatever organization he finds himself a part of. So he's like, I'm going to try my best. I'm going to put it all out on the line because that's what I do. That's what I'm paid for. So I don't know that he did it for the Pistons, but he did it. And he just so happened to be in a Pistons Jersey. Um, yeah, when his body yeah, couldn't hold up anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with you there. But I mean, I'd say this was what, what ultimately happened was just a long culmination of 
not only injuries and surgeries, but just a a lot of NBA miles, a lot right. of very, very, very physical, hard hitting NBA miles. Yeah, it was a bumpy I mean, road. It wasn't. Yeah, a it was. It was yeah, it's the way he plays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in any event, yeah, that is what it is. But uh, yeah, the last the last three games, I mean, that just the way that opponents have been playing him. You know, it's it's uh, it, it's 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 the right way, and it's. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what else, how much, much else there is to say about no, it. You got, not much uh, else to add. It's just unfortunate. Yeah. And it's, it's tough to see. Um, yeah, no, Tom, Tommy, I know you were super excited when the trade was made. Could you possibly <laughs> have seen this sort of thing coming? I'm just kidding. Tommy was completely outraged. Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, no, I, I'm kind of past yeah. it. I think what you got to do is like think about what to do with him now. And I think you know, we've seen this off ball role that Sadiq has played where he's just kind of standing in the opposite corner. I think Blake is a better catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter. Well, it's hard to imagine him being a worse catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter compared to what he's doing on pull-ups this year. So I think that's kind of the role for him now. Uh, Yesterday against the Suns, he only played 24 minutes. Uh, I think that's a good number for him. You you park him in a corner. You hope that opponents respect him enough. Maybe, you know, he's smart enough of a player to, you know, convince him with a pump fake and he can draw the foul, or maybe he just – you know, really start splashing threes, but I think that's kind of a ceiling now. You make him a very expensive three-point shooter. Very expensive. <laughs> Extremely expensive. Yeah, yeah. 30, 30, yeah. It's his. As far as NBA players who are playing right now, you know, you don't want to look at, you know, of course, guys who are out, out entirely providing no value at all. But uh, Blake, yeah, I would say, I would say value versus salary is the worst in the NBA. So. Yeah, I mean, you add to that to the fact that he literally he just can't play defense. Uh, he can't uh, – just the, the common theme is that he can't close out to the three-point line from like eight feet away. You know, that if, if you if you get the ball to his defender in the corner, no matter if Blake is just exactly positioned properly, like in, in between uh, the paint and the three-point line, he's not going to get there. And it, I will say I of, don't like that people are saying that he's not trying. I, I do oh, say he's trying. that he cares. Well, he just ripped his jersey in half. He yeah, obviously well, cares. Yeah, I would say against against the Jazz, uh, some of his effort on defense. I mean, he just you could see him get exasperated, and then he just kind of gave up in the first half prior to ripping his jersey and throwing his chair. It's like uh, he's playing with dead legs. It's very frustrating yeah. for him. You can tell. Well, but some yeah, of it, some of it, there. he checked out a little. Uh, he checked out a little in the Jazz game, and I saw him just kind of just throw it, just almost kind of like throw his arms up and not play defense in a couple possessions. But the idea, yeah, I would say I agree. The idea that. I think my opinion is the idea that Blake Griffin is ever not trying his hardest is without merit. Uh, but, you know, on defense, sometimes he just sort of lets it happen. But that that was sort of the case a couple seasons ago, too. That was a little bit more understandable at that point as far as just saving all of his energy for offense. LeBron, LeBron of course, is much older, but uh, LeBron phones it in on defense in the regular season. Uh, that's a very different story. I'm not comparing the two, but... Whatever the case, it does kind of make a mockery of, of Dwayne Casey's idea of, oh, you got to com- go out and be able to play effective defense and compete and whatnot, and you got to earn your minutes because Blake Griffin is doing neither of those things. So, yeah, if he continues just being fed 32 minutes for the sake of you get 32 minutes because you're Blake Griffin, I mean, I think that's – I don't think that's right. I just don't. And I don't think – you know, I've seen it said, oh, he's he's earned this because he, he destroyed his body for the Pistons. It's like, you no. Know, he really pretty much destroyed his body before he came to the Pistons, and he's he's a, he's a sportsman being paid a very high paycheck. He went out and played the way he plays. I so, uh, yep. yeah, with the time left, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about Jeremy Grant's case for all-stardom? 
So Grant obviously made a big leap, huge leap, just in, in terms of everything, in terms of scoring, in terms of passing, uh, in terms of uh, taking on the primary creation role for a team. And uh, I, I'd argue he's been even better than his stats because he's been responsible for a great deal. He's been good on defense. Uh, my opinion, and oh, he's, he's creating about half of his offense too, which is, which is a significant number. And he's doing that with, with pretty good efficiency. So my opinion is that, uh, unfortunately, as much as I like what Grant has done, I don't think he is a uh, is really an all star. Uh, I think it's it's just it's just tough to look at a guy who's putting up good stats in a bad team and, and name him that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if he's going to be an all star. Um, I think we all would like for him to be because this has been just not a fun season to watch in almost any facet and kind of that glimmer of like well you know at least jeremy made the made the leap to all-star that would be great um i would love it i would love if he was um i yeah good stats on a bad team that's that's something that's held players back from accolades before um so we're gonna have to see how that plays out but i think you'd really have to be watching like watching the pistons games to know that grant is a better player than even his stats would suggest and his stats suggest that he's a a very good player so a lot of his offense is self-created because Dwayne Casey just can't um, – well, I've talked enough about it. I'll leave it at that. But I, I think he's a better player than his stats even show. So I wonder how much the um, the other aspects that are not the fan voting are going to come into play here because I feel like he's a very well-respected player. Um, so that might be enough to kind of give him the edge. But, you know, remains to be seen. I'm, I got my fingers crossed. I'm not overly optimistic, but it's we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's going to happen this season, but I wouldn't put it out of the question for like future seasons. Uh, it's the bad stats on a or good stats on a bad team thing. Uh, I think if he were to get in, it would be like the Chris Middleton way, where you know, he's just he gets recognition as being on a good team and playing as an elite role player or a really really good job as a role player's game. Uh, I think his his game would scale well, you know, next to uh, maybe a more ball dominant player or more dynamic player. I know he's creating a lot more of his offense this year, but maybe not this year, but the fact that he's getting votes at all. I mean, somebody, when we made the trade and saw some, I was watching highlights on YouTube and somebody commented, it was a Pistons fan down below. It was like great pickup, future multi-talent all-star. I think I literally commented, okay, calm down, but he's getting, he's getting it. So yeah. Yeah. He's improved beyond what any of us probably thought he was capable of. Absolutely. Like to go from yeah. role player to, someone who's waving people off at the end of games because he wants to take the big shot. Not that there's been, you know, many opportunities for the Pistons to take big shots, but he's the, the transformation has been staggering. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's only 26, turning 27. It's not like he's on the back end of his career. He could still ascend. Um, so I don't think All-Stars out of the – I wouldn't put it entirely out of the question for this season, though it's probably um, leaning more towards he won't be than he will be. But I wouldn't put it off the table at all for future seasons. Yeah, agreed. And I just I agree. He's he's disadvantaged uh, from from his current situation, both playing for the Pistons uh, in, a, in a very small market for what's currently a, a team that has next to no national attention, mm-hmm. and also just it's very difficult to see the true value of a player uh, when he's just the primary option, putting up really big stats and a really bad team. So that'll be all for today's episode. Uh, as always, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.